Hey, welcome to The Scrum, WGBH's politics podcast. I'm Adam Riley, joined by Peter Kansas. Peter, hello. Greetings and salutations. This episode of The Scrum is all about how the Jaisal Correa scandal, or scandals, are playing out in Fall River. We also get into what Correa's alleged shakedown of marijuana shops tells us about the state of that particular industry, and we size up the unshakable faith of the embattled mayor's superfans. But first, Peter, the road trip that you and I made down to Fall River was also a trip down memory lane for you. What is your history with that fair city? In 1978, um, I, I left my nightside job at the Boston Globe to become a dayside reporter at the Providence Journal. And my last tour of duty for the Journal before I moved on to New York was a stint in the Fall River Bureau. Um, and that's where I met Bob Kerr. Um, just a little background, though, about those communities. And, and I had really forgotten, forgotten about this and, and until we were there. Um, in 1973, Richard Nixon closed m major military bases all around the country, but really hot hit was the U.S. East Coast. Um, Newport had the largest Navy base in the U.S., and that was closed. And it led to massive unemployment all throughout Rhode Island and Fall River. Some of the ball bearings factories, for example, that made ball bearings uh, <laughs> Uh, f for uh, the U.S. destroyer fleet, which was based there, were, you know, all closed as a result. That part of New England was real and really an economic basket case. We think of Providence as having come back. It hasn't come back all the way, but it has. But Fall River today still hasn't. It's a great city, you, you know, great people. It has what social scientists would say a very thick community. But um, it's still in tight economic straits. So, Peter, you mentioned Bob Kerr, who we chatted with and listeners are going to hear from in a moment. What should they know about this guy who is kicking off the episode? Bob was uh, first a legendary reporter in Fall River. He was the main political re reporter of the city. And um, he went on to be a columnist at the Providence Journal, um, where he was known for his biting wit and his great sense of humor and terrific human insight. Uh, you know, he was one of the real ornaments of southeastern New England journalism. He told us when we started talking that uh, when he moved to Fall River, his first thought was, oh, I got to get the hell out of here as soon as possible. And that was, you know, decades ago, he ended up sticking around becoming a pretty proud Fall River resident. Yeah, moving he, from the Midwest. He married a local girl who was a, a well-known reporter uh, at, at the Fall River Herald News, and uh, he's never left. He's gone native. You're also going to hear a conversation Peter and I had with Lynn Sullivan. She was the editor of the Fall River Herald News when Mayor Jaisal Correa was elected, indicted when he defeated a recall, and then was indicted again. But first up, without further ado, journalist and longtime Fall River resident Bob Kerr. It's funny because I worked in the bureau here for all those years, and I so I covered city council meetings and school committee meetings. And when the uh, when a member of the school committee and the assistant school superintendent went to prison for taking kickbacks on a fencing cat track, that was one of the more outstanding stories of the time. Wait, um, what did they go to prison for? 
They took kickbacks on a fence contract around Durfee High School. <laughs> and um, it's, uh, I mean, you know, corruption isn't not really endemic. It's, it's, it's um, I think, more incompetence than corruption, probably. I like, I just, I'll just ramble all over the place here. Oh, but, ramble away. That, that's great. But we can I've, edit you down, so. But I've, like, I've just liked it for its history, its character, and its characters. It's been, it's just been a good place for Paul and I. It's, you know, she grew up here and, and worked in the newspaper, so she knew everybody. And I knew an awful lot of people in and out of, the, you know, in and out of government, just from being at the newspaper here. It's been just, it's a frustrating place. I think if we'd raised kids here, we might've felt differently about it, but we didn't. So we've settled in and we got a nice neighborhood, nice neighbors. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, like the general attitude of people toward all this. Um, I think people are really pissed off that this guy made the city look silly. And they're really pissed off that a couple thousand people still voted for him. Uh, that's a hot topic. I know, I know it bothers some people just because it's such a, a stain on an otherwise, the government that worked, you know. Uh, it's a strong mayor, weak council charter. So the mayor has a lot of power and this one abused it, obviously. Bob, working for the Providence Journal, even though you were in Fall River for yeah. a lot of this time, one of the most colorful characters in New England political history was at large, Buddy Cianci. Yeah. Say, how does Buddy in Providence compare with Fall River and the current mayor? I don't know if you heard one of the city councilors, Leo Pelletier, who's the most blunt-spoken of them all, said that Jaisal makes Buddy look like a saint. He's not, I don't think he's in Buddy's league in a lot of ways, in the way he dealt with people. Buddy, I mean, you, you oh, saw him, you know. I knew that, Buddy that, well. That night at Rose on the Patuxet when yeah. he was with your guy, uh, Buddy just had so much more style than Jaisal does. Jaisal's young and I think arrogant and thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Buddy might, might have thought that too, but he had, he had a sense of humor. He once got me in a headlock at Rose on the Patuxet. But I think it was that night, actually. That was the Philippe and Jorge roast, was it, I think? I think so. Okay, I'm loath to break in here because so much good stuff is coming out. Can you tell me more about that night that you two apparently both remember well? What was the event? I think it was a How roast. did Buddy Cianci get you in a headlock? There were these two guys in the Providence Phoenix who went under the name Philippe and Jorge. Yeah. Uh, Chip, Chip Young and Rudy Cheeks. And there was a roast for them, I yeah, think. And I was the was. I was the MC of the roast. And um, Buddy, at some point, just grabbed me in a headlock and said, I'd like to make this a lot more painful or something like that. Um, but he was knocking down the vodka pretty good. And uh, I think your boss was too. I, I can't Stephen, remember. Um, Did he like a cocktail? Stephen liked a cocktail. Yeah. Uh, the roads on the Patuxet is this grand old hall on the river down in in Cranston and a lot of events there and I'm trying to think of more of that it was sad because Buddy was living at the Biltmore then he was in his yet to be tried phase I don't think he had been tried for the, the corruption thing he was drunk and he his, his Providence police driver finally I don't know if you remember finally just dragged him out yeah because it was it was sad he didn't want to leave because he he's going back to his room at the Biltmore and uh, Buddy Buddy was married 24-7 I'm not sure Jaisal is. Yeah, Buddy really was. Bob, can I ask you to tell us what people thought of Correa when he was first elected? What was the mood it in was, the city? It was a surprise. Point? He was 23, I think. Um, 
nobody knew much about him. Tried to find out about him. Uh, you know, PC graduate. Um, I think because he replaced a guy named Sam Sutter, who was a good, it was a former DA, uh, dull as dishwater, couldn't couldn't work a room to, you know, he really couldn't. I mean, he was kind of awkward. And, uh, and Jaisal was kind of upbeat kid, you know, with, uh, um, with ideas. And I think people were kind of, even a little excited about him. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think initially, you know, we, hey, we got this young kid, he's come out of nowhere. Nobody really, I mean, he didn't, well, he was a city councilor. It's so unusual for this, because usually you know who's running. You know somebody who's, you know, they're, they're around. <laughs> they're familiar names. And he wasn't. You know, he's a, young, he's a kid out of Providence College. This idea of denying reality. In Boston, we see some of this with the people who dismiss the conviction of the two guys from City Hall yeah. for extortion. Now. I saw the fall in the middle. I think that the U.S. attorney overreached. Did they break the law? Yes. It's a pretty low bar. I'm surprised when they tried them again. I thought, you know, just... Well, they, they have them, but it, it's, yeah. it's like these guys are not criminal masterminds. Um, in, in, n- neither, is, neither is the Fall River mayor. And they mayor. didn't personally benefit. The one mayor that I always look at in Fall River is Carlton Averis. Yeah. The son of, son of immigrants. I don't think he was an immigrant. But he knew the city so well. He was Portuguese. He understood. He was around. He was a lot like Buddy in a way. He was there all the time. And he knew the city. And uh, I think he was a great source of pride uh, in general as maybe the best mayor because it didn't appear that he enriched himself. It's funny, you know, you get covering, you cover politics at all. You know, you get to, you know, you get to know him and you want to separate one from the other and you can't always do it. You know, it's it's. Because you see them in a restaurant, you see, or they'll send you a drink in a bar. And Peter, you actually experienced that with Buddy Cianci, right? Oh yeah. Um, you know, I think Buddy Cianci may be the only politician who ever bought me a drink. Um, I bought him a few. As a matter of fact, we we got to be pretty good friends. Not, not intimate, you know, sort of public friends, but I had lunch with him the day before he was sentenced to federal prison. Um, and by the way, he predicted to within a couple of weeks how long his sentence would be. So uh, Buddy and I hoisted a few together. So does Bob Kerr's less than flattering comparison of Jaisal Correa to Buddy CNC ring true to you? Yeah, Buddy was larger than life. Um, the, the Fall River mayor is fascinating, um, but um, he just hasn't lived long enough. I mean, he's more of a comedic character, I think, uh, or so it would appear. I got to say that I, I, I get what you're saying. The one time I interviewed him and sat down with him, I was really struck by how bright and charismatic he seemed. And people are going to question the bright thing given what he's accused of doing. But I found myself thinking when I was talking with him, uh, you know, if this guy weren't in legal trouble, he'd be heading for a congressional seat one day. No, you're right. I was I was too quick to say a, a comedic figure. Um, that's the way we're looking at it. I, I mean, there, there there is something, as there was with Buddy Cianci, something essentially sad, very human when, you, you know, People of great potential, uh, great promise, run afoul of the law. 
All right, next up, Fall River Herald News Editor Lynn Sullivan, whose official title, I should mention, is Regional Executive Editor of South Coast Media Group, the Herald News, the Taunton Daily Gazette, and the Enterprise. We sat down with her in the Fall River Herald News offices. They're in this great old newspaper building. Reminds me of the Lynn Item building that I used to work in. It is a literal stone's throw from City Hall. And we met up with her on a day when rumors were flying on social media that Jaisal Correa might actually resign. There's all kinds of rumors out there on Facebook. Whether or not it's true, who knows. But why would he step? I mean, as someone who's only been following this from the papers, why would he step down unless he, he thought it would help him in his negotiations or dealings with the U.S. attorney? That's he's, a good question. He's what? not guilty of anything yet. But I think he lost pretty significantly. There, Paul Coogan had three times as many votes as he did. So it seems sort of insurmountable. I'm not saying that it isn't. It, it's possible that he could pull it off in November. But maybe if he were a little bit closer in the vote totals on Tuesday, then he would still have some fight in him. But you have to wonder at this point, could he, in the court of public opinion at least, say both to the public and to you know the U.S. attorney, look, I'm going to step down. The city council has is taking him to court over, they want him to step down. He says he does not have to. The, the charter doesn't specify that he needs to. Could he say to voters, look, okay, I'm going to save the city the cost of a court fight. I'm going to step aside. How did you guys learn here at the paper about the second indictment? Well, one of the, uh, Joe Good, who has been following, she's the main reporter on the, on this whole case. She's our government reporter. And she had heard from sources, and then it sort of exploded even on social media. I mean, people, Fall River has a pretty active, like, uh, Facebook groups that people, I mean, it's probably the same other places too, but. I don't um, know if it is. I don't know. They're very vicious. <laughs> so the memes were already starting, you know, people were, uh, you know, you know how it goes. Even but, before um, the DOJ announcement, yeah, the memes were yes, starting? Yes. <laughs> well, I think they were a little bit recycled from the first time, so. I guess that makes it convenient, yeah. So what was your reaction? What did you think when you heard he was going to be indicted a second time? Well, we'd been hearing for several weeks that it was coming down again. But in, it, to be honest, we'd been hearing for months prior to the first arrest that it was coming. Months. Maybe even longer than that. A year. Uh, so we were ready. We, we've had a plan in place. You know, if this happens, kind of like if, if this happens, break glass, you know, and... We, we were ready with, you know, some timelines and old stories and repurposing stuff. Um, but, you know, it's sort of, we've got a small staff, so it's sort of, you go here, you go here, you do this, you know. So that's how it kind of went. But I, I'm always struck with stories like this that for people on the outside, I mean outside the community, there's um, as nasty as it is to say, there's, there's a high entertainment value. I remember... You know, Buddy Cianci, I remember when I was younger, the Kevin White investigations. But that's not the way people in the community feel, in in my experience anyway. What's the feeling on the street here? I mean, I think that Fall River, and I don't want to say this in a negative way, always has sort of a chip on its shoulder. We're kind of downtrodden. We're a low-income gateway city. So we already are behind the eight ball. So when something like this happens and basically the rest of the state and country and even parts of the world are making fun of us for something like this, it, 
if anything, it makes us sort of like, it gets your back up and it's like, wait, wait, we're not that bad, you know? And then was trying to defend the regular citizen doesn't think or thinks maybe he should step aside. Please just, just go deal with your legal troubles and come back when you're done or whatever. We take issue with certain things. We've been described as a third world country without the palm trees and, you know, for Who said us, that? how we caught, I'm sorry. So he's, he says it and it, you know, you, you sit here and you're like, oh, we're not that bad. Come on. I mean, yes, we have our struggles. Absolutely. But we also have a lot of people working very hard to alleviate those struggles. And so when something like this happens, it's just like a punch in the face. Like, oh, no. On the way down, I was saying the way Adam, that this is really the state's first marijuana-based scandal. And just from your experience observing public life and all, do you have any advice or any concerns for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts? Is, is, is there anything that can be done to try to keep what's alleged to have happened down here from happening elsewhere? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the state definitely needs to look at this. And to be fair, I think the whole country needs to look at this because, you know, there are a number of other states considering making this legal. So I think, you know, you have sort of the gloom and doom people that when they're making marijuana legal, recreational marijuana legal, it was like, oh, you're opening a can of worms here. By the same token, you know, I spoke with a representative of a marijuana company. And if I were a business owner, if I were a marijuana company owner, I would say, what, what am I walking into? Am I walking into other cities where people are going to shake me down for money? Like they deserve protection as well. So I, I do think there's something flawed in this process. I also am over the Standard Times in New Bedford and, you know, they, they have a, an election going on right now too. And it came up in their debates whether or not candidates for city council had taken campaign donations from marijuana companies. So I think at this point now, anybody who has any affiliation with any kind of money or donation from a marijuana company, any any elected official is going to be like, wait, what? You what? And we're talking about small, small amounts in New Bedford. But since one of the allegations is that um, Mayor Correa told these marijuana companies, well, one way to sort of mask these bribe payments, well, just put them as campaign donations or have your family donate to my campaign. Again, just following the news on on the whole licensing procedure, it seems that there's almost a form of um, a legal shakedown. It strikes me that this is something that needs to be curbed in some way. It's legal. It, it's all being done above board. But to me, it's little more than a shakedown. Should contracts be awarded on that basis. I know. Well, you, you sort of, you look at it and, it's, and you think, especially these cities that are like Fall River, sort of economically depressed areas where they, they have like dollar signs in their eyes, like, oh, look at this, a whole new industry coming in, wants to set up. And you think like, oh, we can get, we can get this, we can get that, we can pay for this. we can, And just that sort of frenzy does make you nervous. I want to backtrack just a tiny bit. So you guys had a plan in place. Mm -hmm for what you were going to do if, if this came down. Okay. When it was officially announced that he was indicted a second time, even though you'd been prepping for it, and even though you'd been hearing rumors, was there a part of you that was like, man, can you believe this guy? Oh, I mean, there's a, you read the indictment, money behind a shed, like Mercedes and, you know, these weirdo high, highfalutin, like, it's just this crazy lifestyle that it does read like a movie. And that I do think adds to the sort of, outside of Fall River perception that this is kind of funny. 
and it's really it's not funny it's very serious for this city and well that was one big question i had was whether correa's legal problems however they end up being resolved are going to end up setting the city back what do you think it's i mean it's one of those things where it's hard to measure a negative like you can't really put quantify how many people are, are sort of looking at the map of, of Massachusetts, like, could I go there, there? I'm not going to even think about Fall River. One more question I want to run by you, and then feel free to hop in any time. You were talking about people in New Bedford feeling like they're second-class citizens or seen as second-class citizens, like it's sort of a downtrodden community. My recollection is that when you and I talked last time for a Greater Boston story, I think you said that one of the things people liked about Correa was that he had this willingness to dream big and say you know what we don't need to uh, we don't need to just accept the fact that we're going to be second class citizens of massachusetts we can be better than that do i remember correctly yes he's he is a very good salesman he really is like i said when he ran we endorsed him so i mean we believed the message too or we wanted to believe the message and again innocent till proven guilty obviously but yes, like you wanted to believe that could there be an entertainment venue on the water? That would be awesome. You know, we would be just like other big cities. But you don't want that at the expense of other things like well, integrity. I think it would be worth, you know, rolling the the Wayback Machine back a bit and saying when he first appeared on the scene, what was it about him that captured everyone's imagination? Well, and I think it captured the even the imagination of the nation because, I mean, he was in um, bigger articles than just the Herald News oh, about yeah. being so young. And, I mean, the first the uh, city's first Cape Verdean mayor. And so he, here you've got a, a young man uh, who had big dreams and big plans. And you, you wanted to say, this is a Fall River success story. He went to our schools. He, he, you know, he's coming back to, he could, he could go anywhere. He could go to LA, he could go to Washington, but he's coming back to Fall River to lead this city. So yes, you, there is that sort of sense of wanting to believe, like, could this be true? But then again, that's what's going to lead to, that's what's leading to sort of the nationwide uh, interest in this story is that the higher you are, the bigger the fall. How is he reacting specifically or, you know, sort of big picture? What, what's, how is he playing it? He's, he seems unflustered. He seems on message. He seems, you know, I'm, I'm not guilty. I, even though he, he lost by a considerable margin on Tuesday, his speech was, I'm going to win. It's fine. We're, we're going to be victorious. So, so in that good salesman confidence way, it's, the same Jaisal we've always seen. So, I'm not surprised by people who say, well, he hasn't been convicted of anything yet. We have to wait for the jury to have a verdict. But there are other people who just see conspiracies everywhere. And now, granted, given the voting total, we know these people are in the minority. But I am struck by the small but hardcore band of brothers and sisters who just think he walks on water. It is kind of interesting to me because personally, I I don't think I've ever loved a candidate so much that I would just sort of blindly accept anything that they said. Um, I've I've liked candidates before. I I think something like this would give me pause unless they were related to me, I guess. Um, (laughs) I don't know, but they are very, and they sort of ascribe power, immense power to people I mean, nothing against Ken Paola or even State Rep Carol Paola, 
but I don't know that they have power over the U.S. attorney or the FBI. Or Can you something. explain the line of thinking there, by the way? What is the conspiracy theory that, that they're going with? That these other people, other elected officials have created this or called up the FBI and said, there's something here. And there was never anything here. But then the FBI started investigating. And then I, I don't As know. As a way or, to take Correa down yes. because he's a... Because Cause he's they, a threat to them or whatever. he's a threat to them. A threat just because to the he's establishment. An, huh. So... But I do think, too, now, given that there are um, co-conspirators that have pleaded guilty and this and that, I think now they're just, well, he got mixed up with the wrong people. Who are these people who, as Peter said, are just resolute about not not acknowledging even a whiff of guilt on Korea's part? I don't know. It's kind of strange to me. But at the same time, you sort of see some of this play out nationally, like where there are, you know, no matter what the president does or says. Like, we have him on tape saying certain things, or you have documents proving certain things, and it does not matter. He didn't do that. He didn't say that. He did, You know, these tapes Even are if he altered. Said it. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? President Trump is very confident, goes out and says, no, I didn't do this. I didn't say it. We have proof of you doing it. We see it. We can see it with our own eyes. Is there an ethnic component to who supports Korea and who I doesn't? do think that he has a lot of the Portuguese vote. He's, he's got a, a well-known family and whatnot, so I do think that there is some element of that. And, you know, like I said, everybody in Fall River has a connection with each other. So, I mean, maybe a lot of his supporters are related to him or are related to somebody who's uh, else who's supporting him a lot. I, I don't, I don't, that I, it wouldn't surprise me. But people who like the whole anti-establishment pitch, they're not just Cape Verdeans or Portuguese? No, I, no, oh, okay. definitely not. So what's the political lay of the land now? My sense is that Paul Coogan, whatever Jaisal Correa does or doesn't do, that he's going to cruise to victory in November. Uh, is that, I, I know that nothing is for certain, but is that a fair assumption? Is that what most people I mean, are expecting? I think that's a fair assumption, just given how uh, significant his his margin of victory was. So I, I would say that, that Coogan will win. And then it, he won't be sworn in until January, though. So we've got some time. For people who are getting this crash course in Fall River politics, what can you tell us about Paul Coogan? I mean, he, he's, he was a very popular vice principal at the high school. It's a big high school. So he had a lot of residents in class, or, or he, he dealt with a lot of them when they were students, or their children, or their grandchildren. So he knows a lot of people. Um, he he's, comes from a big family, so he's got other um, siblings who are in public life. Um, he was a very high vote-getter in the school committee elections. And, and he's been very straight-laced, I think, in terms of what he's done on the school committee. Um, I don't foresee any any trouble. Does he need to make a case to voters or does he just need to say, you know, we've had enough of this stuff. Let's get back to normal. People have been joking like he shouldn't even do any debates at this point. He should just sweep on to victory, maybe just on the anti-Jazel wave, I guess. But um, there are like the small group of people that are very loyal to Jazel. There's also a group of people that are just they may be loyal to Jazel because he he represented someone outside of the establishment, again, sort of like Trump. So there are those people that Paul Coogan may have to convince, I am not like everybody else who's ever gone before me. You know, separate himself from that, sort of thinking that the establishment has led to Fall River being in the situation that it's in. Before Jaisal was elected, 
What were the strengths and weaknesses of the larger Fall River political community? So we had a, a political newcomer, Wolf Flanagan, who um, implemented a very controversial pay-as-you-throw-trash program, and people got very angry at that because they felt it was a tax on top of taxes, and they initiated a recall. In the midst of the recall, uh, Jaisal Korea, who was a city councilor at the time, the story goes he was called by Will Flanagan to talk about his vote of whether or not he wanted to recall, um, remove uh, Flanagan, and supposedly in the car, it was like a very, it was, again, it was Hollywood. It was very dramatic. You know, it was like after midnight down by the waterfront, he gets into a car and there's other um, people in the car. And supposedly Will Flanagan told him these recallers are very dangerous people. And he said, this is what he does. And he put, he put a, a handgun on the console and said, this is what we have to do. And then Jaisal said that he was felt threatened by that. And then it, it turned out to this whole thing that had to get in, investigated and the investigation showed they didn't find any like real threat or anything. But I do think that that story certainly hurt Will Flanagan. And so he was recalled and the longtime Bristol County District Attorney took his place as interim mayor. Sam Sutter. Yeah, Sam Sutter. And but again, Sam was seen as establishment again, and so he, on top of the trash fee, added like a monthly trash fee. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like adding insult to injury, and so people just wanted nothing to do again with the establishment. So again, here comes Jaisal Korea, young guy, not part of the establishment by virtue of the fact that he just hadn't been around. He was that young, so he was. A, a young entrepreneur, a businessman, and he was going to be different and he was going to change things and it wasn't going to be the same old, same old. Just in Fall River, just within the city limits, how had the establishment failed? Obviously, they misread the public's mood when it came to trash. Not removal. a big hunger for new trash <laughs> fees. Yep. Well, I, I, I know we spend some time up in Maine and the politics of trash is real think that Fall River is that different than a lot of places people in Fall River think that they are. But when you look outside, there are in all of these towns, all of the cities of the papers that I have now have these individuals that have been in office for a long time, some of them, some new, but some who've been there for years and years. And I know why. I mean, a lot of it is that there's just not that many people that run for office anymore. You know, they're just... Not that many people that want to get involved or be on boards or volunteer, and people just don't realize this. You know, they don't want to do it themselves, but they just want somebody else to do it. And when you are in this situation that's a place like Fall River or New Bedford or Taunton or Brockton is, like, you know, you want to be the Bostons and the Providences. So you think that the people who've been in power for a long time didn't get us there. Why didn't they get us there? It's their fault that we're not there. And so you want more development, more yes, new construction, that yes. kind of thing, I mean, more prestige? Better schools, everything. But in reality, there's a lot of factors. For us here in Fall River, yes, I understand. I mean, I read the outside stuff, so I understand. But this is real people's real lives that this is affecting, and it's a problem. So, Peter, I got to ask, did talking with your old colleague Bob Kerb and with Lynn Sullivan about the Correa mess in Fall River changed the way you think about the political situation in that city? Yes. Um, 
like a lot of cynics and, and like a lot of people because we're, we're not in the community, I've been reading these stories with an eye towards a certain entertainment value. Yeah, me too. You know, being back in Fall River really brought back, you know, fond memories. It, it, it's a nice community with great people um, that, that faces some real challenges. But it, it, it helps me understand the political uh, disenchantment um, that's so at large in the country. You know, here's, here in Fall River was a young guy who a lot of people invested their hopes in, and he failed them. Um, you know, multiply that, that sense of disappointment and spread it around the country. It, it, it's no wonder there's a, a sort of gentle, gentle or not so gentle sense of despair, you know, all around America. Um, it, it, I, I'm not trying to say that Fall River is emblematic of the whole country. No, but it gives you a slice of insight. It, it does. It, 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 it gave us it, it did give me a slice of insight. Uh, more, it, it, it helped me empathize. You know, Boston's a booming community. Um, yes, we have our problems. Yes, we have our challenges. But, you know, just an hour south of us is a not-so-booming community full of really great people who've been let down by someone they trusted. Okay, that is going to do it for another installment of The Scrum. Peter, thanks as always. It was, this was an interesting one. I like this one, too. Big thank yous to Bob Kerr and Lynn Sullivan for taking the time to talk with us and to you for listening. Subscribe to The Scrum if you haven't already. Take a few seconds to rate us and do not hesitate to bend our ear. On Twitter, Peter is at Kadzis and I'm at Riley Adam. You can also get us by email at scrum at wgbh.org. We got crucial production help with this episode from our esteemed colleague, Gary Mott. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.